people say, well, it's just hair, but really, um, it ceased to be just hair when it became a political statement for you to keep your natural hair. It's not just hair anymore. Hello, my name is Matthew Sortino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. It has been a very eventful 10 weeks since I last released an episode and I am so excited to be back. I have so many fantastic guests lined up over the coming weeks and am thrilled to be back up and running again. Some big news for you all. My partner Lauren and I just had a baby daughter. She is incredible and we are so lucky. In other news, we also got engaged. This was on top of completing a large house renovation right before the crazy Christmas period. So it really has been a massive 2020 indeed. Now on to episode 30. Today I'm speaking to Coco Kugblenu. Coco is the founder of Cocoction, a business in Ghana that dreams to see all women of African descent feeding their ageless beauty with wholesome products that will not harm them or the environment. As well as being an entrepreneur, Coco works in advertising, but her true passion is clearly in helping other people of African descent find, restore and protect their natural beauty. Coco offers a unique insight and perspective about business, society, fashion, beauty standards and Ghana. We also delve into the world of sustainability and how difficult it is to do what is right for our planet, no matter how hard we try. You can follow Coco on Twitter at Cocoction, K-O-R-K-O-R-C-T-I-O-N, or at Coco Kugblenu. You can also follow her on LinkedIn or visit her website, cocoction.com. Thank you so much for listening to Moments of Clarity. Please continue to share the pod with your colleagues, family, friends, and social networks. Now, without further delay, I bring you Coco Kublenu. Coco, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, we, How we were are talking. You? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. We we're talking off air um, before we started recording and just about what this podcast is all about. Now, I've come off a little bit of a break and had two months off, and and I guess. To, to reacquaint the listeners as, as well as yourself, this podcast is all about talking to those people that are attempting or have been able to align their values and their actions, you know, to, to put when they put their feet forward in and put their action plans together and, and go for it, that there is a sense of the values there at the forefront of that and there's a purpose and a meaning. And I want to unpack that with you today as, as well as how you got there and maybe some of your experiences and some of the things that helped you get to where you are today. So before we get on to all of that, I'd love you to introduce yourself and, and what you're doing now. Okay, uh, thanks. My name is Koko Kugbilenu. Um I am Ghanaian. I am, um, well, I have two jobs now. My day job is in advertising. Uh, I'm now the client service director. I used to be in strategy and before that in copywriting. Um, but then I have a business on the side, which is called Concoction, which is a mixture of my name and concoctions because it's, it's products that I make from mixing a lot of uh, natural ingredients. And um, it is a sort of rebrand. I had a previous company that didn't do so well. Uh, that was called the Body Butter Company. So it's ba- it's pretty much based in the, on the same principles. It's just that the business model is slightly different with this one. And yes, my uh, aspiration in general is to help uh, African women mostly to reignite a pride in, in the way they look without having to feel like they have to alter their 
hair or skin in some way to feel beautiful. I just uh, feel like uh, African women are gorgeous and they should be able to look in the mirror and, and see that. So that's why I do what I do. Oh, brilliant. Thanks for that. You know, the, the idea of beauty in Ghana and in Africa in general, what is it that's holding, I guess, Ghanaian women or, or African women back from understanding their, their natural beauty? What do you think is the, at the cause or the root cause of that? It is, it's been uh, centuries of conditioning, I think. And little by little, we're, we're getting rid of the shackles, but um, it's been centuries of being told that um, our, our hair in its natural form is unkempt. Um, because it's not as easy to comb through as, say, more the European hair texture, which is just straight and easy to brush through. Um, that's because uh, our skin is dark, then there must be, it must be dirty or uh, must need some clearing up or brightening. So over time, we have sort of ascribed to that. And then, um, and then when media became so... Uh, um, prolific, uh, we started seeing things. If it was in a beauty magazine, it's a, a light-skinned woman with long hair, small nose, and to be told over and over again that that's, the, that's beauty, that's the standard of beauty to aspire to, uh, at some point you will start to believe it and start feeling like you need to do things to look more uh, like that. And so, yeah, I think it's been a long time of conditioning that has caused it. Even though some standards of beauty that we've had for uh, a long time still exist, uh, for example, in Africa, it is Africa in general, but I'll speak for Ghana. But in Ghana, it is um, woman is beautiful if she's buxom. Uh, if if you meet even today, if you meet someone you know who's lost weight, the first thing you're going to ask is, "Are you ill?" You don't ask, oh, uh, have you been trying, have you been on a diet? Are you trying to lose weight? No. It's always, are you ill? Because the uh, aspiration is to eat and look like you are well, you are well off, you are well to do. So that still remains. Um, there are also some certain aspects like um, uh, lines on the neck. We considered lines on the neck to be a sign of beauty, uh, big eyes or a sign of beauty. Um, so some of those still exist, but I think mostly in the skin, uh, uh, skin color and hair texture, that's where a lot of the conditioning uh, happened. So um, hopefully I'm, I'm helping to get rid of that. Yeah, and do you think that obviously the shackles, you said, the, you know, the history, the, the white history of oppression and colonization and invasion and all of that helped to, I guess, bring that idea across, but is it now sort of almost being perpetrated by Ghanaian people, this new standard of beauty? I think, I think yes. I think, um, and that's how uh, brainwashing works, doesn't it? I mean, um, you start by instilling the idea in the person's head and then after a while the person adopts the idea and it becomes their idea and then they start to uh, manifest it in different ways and, they, they, like you said, they perpetuate it and and, and uh, cause other people to start thinking like that. So, yes, um, while that is the root cause, at this point, um, we've probably got to the point where we are doing it uh, um, by ourselves. Uh, 
Um, but it doesn't change the fact that that's where it came from. Um, and, and, and to be honest, it's actually still happening um, in, 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 in international media. There's a lot of call for diversity and whatnot in, in movies and music and everything. And I think that's also stemming from that, the fact that um, uh, other um, ideals and standards have been pushed to the side and one has taken center stage. So uh, while it's, it's, we're still perpetuating it, it is still happening from uh, um, um, the, the camp that it actually started from. So, yeah, I think, uh, yes, we are, we are helping it along at this point, but it's, it's still also happening from where it started. Yeah, I often hear the, the see the parallels here in, um, I know, in Australia and and we have a lot of females that say, no, just because it is other females that are judging you down the street from what you wear and the makeup, it's actually a, a, almost a male-dominated thing for the people that own the magazines and that, you know, that are owning the beauty products in many ways that are forcing yeah. people to feel... If, whether it's shame or just not good enough or, or you know, this incidental stuff that you see every day on Instagram um, yeah. or wherever the social media platform of choice is, but, you know, that it is often said, no, well, you can stop caring about that, you know, you're in control, but often it is pushed by these subconscious okay. ways. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard, it's, yes, it's uh, psychological really because um, I think these people have discovered that uh, it's easy to make a profit when, I mean, naturally, if you're selling a product, you have to be fulfilling a need. And for there to be a need, um, perhaps you have to create the need in some of these situations. So uh, that was how to create the need, to say that for people to feel like they need your product, then you have to say that you are lacking something. And I think that's where it started from. It's, it's really just capitalism, to be honest. It's just um, people trying to make money by preying on other people's insecurities, it's 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 that that's been happening for a while, and I think that's that's really yeah, that's really what it is. And I guess your values come in, and and what you were talking about is that you're doing this in an in another way. You've got the background of advertising, and you understand, you know, that idea of using people's insecurities against them to to make money or whatever you need to do. But how are you, how are you going about this in a different way? How are you empowering people? I know that you are, but explain your first, I guess, your inspiration to do it, and then you know your journey. Okay, so I'm uh, I guess I'm using reverse psychology. Um, <laughs> so while you say uh, a beauty cream that claims to help brighten your skin is doing that by saying that your skin, the way it looks right now, is not good enough, so you need to improve it. I'm going in the opposite direction and saying that your skin, the way it looks right now, your hair, the way it looks right now, is perfect. Um, however, you should take care of it and make it and, and feel good about it because I feel like at this point the only reason why you would want to change something is if you don't feel good if you don't feel good about it. So it is trying to help you feel good about what you already have. And the best way to do that is to make sure that you take care of it. It's kind of like having a, a messy room. Um, you don't see the beauty in it until you clean it up. You clean up the room and then suddenly you can see. Uh, everything is in its place and then everything you see how everything works together to make it a beautiful room so it's it's in it's in first of all accepting that what you have is what you have and then finding ways to take care of it so that it looks good enough to you so you don't feel like you need 
to uh, replace it with something something else. So that's uh, the thinking that goes behind um, how I, I market the product. So the second time around, when I started uh, the re, well, re, well, I wouldn't call it rebranding. I just completely changed it. I started with a lot of content marketing. Um, so it, there was a lot of information on how to DIYs and how to, to do face masks at home, how to do hair masks at home with things that you have that you don't necessarily have to spend money on. Um, because also people also feel like uh, there was a misconception when the natural hair revolution started that it is expensive to maintain, which is actually not a misconception. It was true because um, things that are rare are usually more expensive. Um, so since there weren't that many people, there weren't that many saloons that were were um, knowledgeable in taking care of natural hair and, and natural skin, it, those that did were priced uh, exorbitantly, and a lot of people also pushed a lot of people away. So I thought that okay, um, the best way instead of saying uh, well, because. Uh, Making a change is hard. So instead of saying, "Well, I don't want to, to you know, go through the trouble and spend all that money just because I'll just, I'll just stay doing what I'm doing," because at that point, uh, straightening your hair is cheap, lightening your skin is cheap. So how about if I taught you how to do it at home, so you don't have to spend money, and then maybe you would start to appreciate it and say that, "Okay, maybe it's not that expensive. Maybe it's not that hard to do." And then you start looking at it in a different light, and maybe start paying attention to taking care of it. So that's how I I approached it this time around. Instead of just uh, selling products for so for months, it was a lot of content marketing, how to take care of your hair, how to. Uh, you're getting to know your hair because a lot of people still don't know um, how natural hair behaves um, because you're used to the straightening and you know that it's just comb and go. But natural hair is different. It needs a little more attention. So it was, uh, I, I wanted the people to understand their hair and their skin. And then perhaps when uh, they, they understood it and they say, okay, well, now I, I, I don't have time to do it myself do you have any products? Which is actually what happened after a while. They said, well, you know, this is really good and all, but it would be nice if uh, you pre-made the products and sold it to us. Um, and, then I, and then I knew it was time to actually start making the products at that point. Thanks for that explanation. It's, it's a really fantastic way and insight into how you went about changing your original business of just having these products, but then to actually teach people and, and, and show people how they can appreciate their own, I guess, natural beauty. Uh, the natural hair revolution, you called it. So were you yeah. straightening your hair before this as well? Were you someone that was not, not getting involved with, I guess, appreciating your natural hair and skin as well? Or, or... Oh, no, yeah, I, got, I got caught with that. I got, uh, I caught the bug too, yes. Luckily for me and my sister, though, my mother was very strict about us using chemicals for our hair. So it was at, when we finished uh, secondary school, which is equivalent of high school, it was after that that she said, okay, fine, you're, you're 18 years old now. If you want to do it, you can do it. But before then, we, we kept it natural. And, and this is also uh, the school system, uh, when you get into boarding school, uh, encourage, well, no, they, they don't encourage you. They more like force you to cut your hair. Um, based actually on that whole uh, natural hair is on Kemp's idea, even though they would deny it at this point. But I, it's based on that idea because um, if we were in school with, say, um, uh, mixed uh, uh, students or white students, 
they were allowed to keep their hair because the thought is that it's easier to manage and will look less unkempt. Um, and while I was in the school system, it was annoying because you never really want to cut your hair. Most women don't want to cut their hair. Um, but I didn't understand it there until I came out of the system and started thinking about the standards of beauty. Now, so I relaxed my hair for like about three years when I was in university. And uh, my hair started falling out. Um, so I actually went back to natural to sort of recuperate and then go back to relaxing my hair again. But while I went natural, the, the, the first time I, I touched the new growth, it was like a feeling of coming home. I had forgotten what, how nice it felt. It was full and it was curly and, and, and it felt healthy and I'd forgotten the feeling of that. So when I felt that, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going back to, to relaxing my hair. And the reason why I, the reason I started the business was while my hair was growing out natural, I got a lot of pushback from my friends, from my family. No, you know, you don't look good enough, you know, go back and do the, go back and relax it. And, and I realized why, I, I started thinking to myself, why is it so bad to keep something that grows naturally out of my head? This is the way it comes out of me. It's almost like saying that I want to cut off my arm because it's not, it, it doesn't look right. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me. So I started another time, uh, a lot of people did not know how to take care of natural hair. So that was also a fear because a lot of the time uh, fear hinders people. Because uh, people, when we were in primary school, there were people who were relaxing their hair in primary school, lots of people actually. So they had lost the uh, familiarity uh, with, with the way it looked and the way it felt and the way to take care of it. So it was a lot of uh, thinking on my part, wondering why we had come to this point, how we had come to this point where we were so abhorrent of something that was naturally ours. So this was when I was in, I think, third year of university. Um, and so I decided to keep it. And even my mother, who didn't want us to relax it before, was like, you know, go back to relaxing because everybody is doing it. So you don't want to look like the, 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 the odd one out. But I, I stuck to my guns. And in the beginning, I had a lot of problems with finding products that could help to keep my hair soft. Um, it was a lot of uh, products that were meant for relaxed hair. And relaxed hair, what's it? It, what relaxed hair does, it's, it's well, scientifically what it does is so there are protein bonds that hold our hair together and give it the curly uh, texture. So what relaxed hair does, it breaks those bonds so it can keep it permanently straight. Um, and when it does that, there's a lot of things. It's like nature. When you move one thing, a lot of things have to readjust. So um, you can't put water in your hair because then it, it looks frizzy. So a lot of the products were meant to keep that uh, dryness to strip your hair of the moisture and that's not what your natural hair needs. So it, it took a lot of experimenting, a lot of remembering how my grandmother used to treat our hair when we were younger. She would take her time to wash your hair uh, with black soap and um, and I remember she she would be chewing kernels of palm, uh, palm kernel because she made palm kernel oil uh, and she would be chewing the kernels of palm while she was washing your hair. And by the time she was done rinsing it, she would spit the kernels into your hair. Now, the idea of chewing it was to release the oils in the, in the kernels. So she would spit it into your hair and massage your hair with it to make sure the oil got in it. And then she would rinse out the chaff. So I, it was a lot of remembering 
because yeah, she had passed away at that time. So it was a lot of remembering how she handled the hair, the things that she used, and, and going back to those things. And, and, and going back to those things, I found that they actually do work, and they work well for my skin uh, also. Because uh, I had terrible acne up until um, maybe 10 years ago. So it was the, uh, uh, me going back to rediscovering the natural products that help to uh, maintain the hair. And so when the revolution started, this was like in 2000 and maybe nine or 2010, when more people were going natural, I, I knew in, instinctively that they would go through the same challenges that I went through with finding products that will um, uh, maintain the hair. And I thought, well, now I have this knowledge and, and, and lots of my friends who knew that I had gone natural before would come to me and say, so how do you do it? Because it's really hard. Um, and I told them that I use this and this and that. And then they would say, oh, well, could you make some for me? And, and I'd make some for them. Um, and and then, so, so, so that's how it started the first time around, um, knowing that there was a market for the natural products. And, and so that's how it started in 2011. And I, I stayed with that for a while. And then I think in 2015, I got a call from the CNN office in Kenya and that they had seen my work online um, and they wanted to uh, uh, interview me about it. So they came down and we did the interview. And, and I think that's actually where things went downhill. I, I, I think I was a, a victim of my own success because I wanted to grow it organically. Uh, instead of getting, uh, well, I, I did try to get investments in the beginning, but a lot of the, the people who wanted to invest were, they were more interested in uh, how soon can they start getting a, making a profit. And, and that would have meant that I needed to use certain things to make my products that I wasn't interested in using, petroleum-based things mostly. Um, to extend their shelf life, to make it look like it did um, the, the other pro um, more popular products look on the shelves and whatnot. And I wasn't willing to do that. So I decided to, be, uh, to grow it more organically. Now, when the CNN interview came up, I didn't really, I, I, to be honest, I didn't think it through enough. I just thought it would be, it would be nice exposure for the company, but I didn't think that I would be overwhelmed with orders that I would be able to, to fill. And uh, a lot of that is pre-financing, which I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, wasn't able to do. So I, I got, I filled some of the orders. One of the biggest orders I filled was to Zambia, um, but um, half of the products were destroyed on the way. So I had to remake uh, more of these products and send at my own cost. And I think everything started going downhill from from there because it was a lot of all the money I'd saved up had to go into that. It, it was a big struggle from then on. Um, it got to a point where it was, it was so bad because I, 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 I had left advertising to start the business. It got to a point where it was so bad I, I got an offer to, to get back into advertising and I took it because it would be a, a good way to make some uh, money to help the business. But then I got into that and I, I didn't have enough time for the business so that also just sort of fizzled out. So when it did, while I was in advertising, I was learning new things because in my first capacity in advertising, I was a copywriter. And then when I got in the second time, I moved into strategy. So it, it, it allowed me to learn a lot of things that I didn't learn before about branding and, and positioning and marketing and that sort of thing. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I could give this another try. 
um, which is what I, I, I did. So I spent about two years just putting together the plan of the, uh, of, uh, the business, the way it is now, uh, coming up with the brand essence, all that, which I didn't do the first time around, um, to be honest. So this time around, I went in more confident. I know I've taken lessons from the other one. I know what I need to do, what I don't need to do. And so I think that that's also been very helpful. So I, I think it's better the second time around. Because I've also learned uh, how the market behaves and how to talk to uh, consumers, how to target them, and how to make them understand where you're coming from. And so that's, it's, it's actually better the second time around, honestly. Yeah, I guess there was a, a few things there. One of them was that you, you stuck to your values that you wanted to create an organic product that didn't go down the pathway of using yeah, petroleum-based products, which would have, I guess, defeated the purpose of why you went into this yeah area and space in the first place and then also to have the resilience to to come back from you know a pretty bad experience and and it would have been extremely I guess um tough at the time especially before you knew that it would come you'd you'd step out of it and be where you are today but yes it was terrible (laughs) terrible. I felt like a failure most of that time yeah can you go through that process a little bit, that resilience and, and, you know, that idea of coming through the other side with more skills compared to, you know, feeling that failure, but then coming out of it the other side even better off? Um, okay. Well, after the initial feeling of failure, I actually did, I decided that I wasn't going to do it anymore. Maybe it wasn't meant for me um, but I think what helped me through was I had some clients from the first business who just wouldn't let it, uh, wouldn't accept that I wasn't doing it anymore. So I got a lot of calls uh, from them. It was a small group of people, but they seemed to uh, really appreciate what I was doing. And they talked about how helpful it was. And a lot of them started asking, okay, if I'm not going to be making the products, then they would like me to help them to find ways to take care of their hair. So for about a year, I spent talking to these people that would call me regularly, consultations, okay, and uh, some of them would say, okay, so now I'm in the kitchen, I have uh, I have avocado, I have eggs, I have this, uh, this is the problem, my hair feels dry and it feels, uh, uh, it's breaking, so which of these ingredients should I use? And I would walk them through it and then they'd do it and they say, oh, this really worked and then they tell other people about it. So, so I, I started actually getting calls from people, they had referred me to people and said, well, if you're having problems, just call her. She doesn't have any products, but she can help you to do something uh, for it at home. So I think that's why I got the idea for the content marketing to start uh, with content marketing, because uh, I found from those calls that people really did not know how to do it outside of products. They had, now everybody wants to go natural because it's, it's in fashion. But no, uh, not everybody really understands how to, to, to work with it. And so all these products are coming up from the U.S., from everywhere, even from locally. Every other day there was a new product that was coming out. So people started depending again on products without necessarily understanding what the products were supposed to do and how they were supposed to be. They just thought, well, now, uh, uh, yeah, so all they use is a shampoo and a conditioner and uh, uh, leave-in conditioner. And so they became product junkies. 
Um, so this one says, well, I'm using uh, so-so and so, but it's not working. It's well, you try my products because, you know, mine works for me. But, you know, the hair texture is, is different for uh, everyone. It depends on your diet. It depends on the weather. It depends on the type of water you use to wash your hair. It will react differently. So what works uh, for one person does not necessarily work for you. Um, so they were still experiencing the kind of problem, even with all the products that they were buying. So that, uh, I, I just really discovered that there was still a need for, for women to be educated about how to take care of their hair. And I thought, well, maybe I should start uh, with that. So actually, when I started this time, I didn't intend to make products. I just wanted it to be like a, a safe space where people could come and ask questions and learn how to make products. I could have posts on how to do uh, hair masks or, or whatever, and just have people come there and just create like a hub. For, for, for these women. Um, so it was when the request came, because really um, at this point when everybody, mothers are working um, as well as taking care of the home, finding time to do, uh, to take care of your hair yourself can still be a chore. It is a chore really. Um, so they kept asking for, they're like, you know, you should, should do this thing. You should do this and, and preserve because they can only do it um, and keep it for uh, maybe a week or two in the fridge, and then they'd have to redo it, and it just became a chore for them. Um, so it was when the request started coming in. I thought, okay, fine. Um, I was going to set a, uh, I was going to set a, a target. Um, I did a course once called the Lean, the Lean Business uh, something. I can't remember what it is now. But the idea was that if you wanted to start a business, that you would you would come up with uh, the minimum viable product and see how many people would be interested in buying and set yourself a target and say, okay, I'm going to put this out on this channel. If 25 people order it, then I know that it's going to be a viable business. So what I did was to say that, okay, I'm going to make this product uh, and announce that there were, I had a product coming out. And if 25 people said, I want this product, then I knew that I, I should start making products. So that's what I did. And I think I got, I got 30 people, which is more than I actually budgeted or targeted. Um, so I thought, well, you know, clearly there's a need. So, so that's when the making the products actually started. But I didn't want to lose sight also of, of the hair product, uh, of, the, of educating them about taking care of their hair. Uh, every time I get a new follow on Instagram, for example, I send a, a message, a personal message and say, I'm available if you have any questions. Because most people just come and say, well, what products do you have? Uh, I just want the products. So I have to uh, tell them that, well, I need to know. I can't just recommend any product. My products are not like a one size fits all. You have to tell, we have to talk a little, I have to ask you what your hair routine is, what you're doing, what the problem is. And a lot of the time you find that the problems that they have can be solved by changing one little thing and they don't actually need the product. Um, and, but by telling them that, I find that a lot of people are amazed by the fact that I'm not trying to sell them a product even though I have products and then they sell all of the products anyway. So I, I, I like that model because it helps me to, to educate the uh, to educate them one person at a time, and it also still helps me to make sales. Um, so I'm not uh, I'm not working uh, at a loss. Uh, so I, I like I like that I like that uh, that model. Yeah. And I guess maybe uh, reading into this, like your first attempt was to stop your normal your day job, make that your business, make that you know where you get your profit, and and almost 
I want to get big and, and maybe didn't quite think about, you know, the next steps. and um, How to get big, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then now it, it was a values-based, you know, this idea once again of how can African women, Ghanaian women feel beautiful, it, it, you know, I learnt from my own personal experience, you know, your experience, this is, you know, that um, I had to do A, B and C to, to get to be who I wanted to be again, you know, the natural way. I want to teach people this. This is my aim now. It's not about the business as such. It's about changing people's lives and changing society. And and it's gone from a, a hobby to a to a business now. Once again, that you, yeah. it's successful when you're happy to be in it. That must be pretty. Yeah. Uh, I guess you fill you with pride. It does. It does. I'm actually quite proud of it. And this time I didn't leave my day job to, to get into it. Mm. Um, um, but I, I, am, I am quite proud of it. I'm, I'm proud that I can uh, get a, a, a message from um, random people who say that um, a, friend, a friend of mine said, you helped her take care of her dandruff, for example. You helped her take care of her breaking hair. Um, so this is my problem. How do I solve it? I, it's, it's, that's what I, I started out to achieve, and I'm really happy that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm achieving it. So outside of, I just feel like um, what I want to do is to grow a following of people who I don't want them to depend on me for the remedy. I want them to come and say, well, I don't have this information. I want to be able to give them the information. And I want them to be able to go out there and say that, well, this is what I learned. Um, so I don't want them to keep coming back to me like, a, like a, a, a doctor. I want them to be able to find the remedies for themselves and be able to, to do it for themselves and then also teach other people. Um, but I find that even, so, well, someone says um, to me, well, don't you feel like then the business will go elsewhere? And then, well, it doesn't bother me that much because most people actually appreciate the efforts that you put into helping them to help themselves. And every time they, 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 need, they need something, they always come to me. And they actually, so a lot of the products that I've made are from my consumers. They're like, well, so the first product I made was based on what they, um, they specifically asked for. A lot of them were dealing with dry hair. And the big problem was that they weren't deconditioning their hair. And, uh, and then after finding that out, the problem was that I don't want to spend the time making the things at home that will uh, make me punish my hair. So could you make it for me? So all the products actually come from people asking, this is what I want in my hair care routine now. Can you make it for me? So I'm not, I don't have like a standard natural hair set, which is like a shampoo and a conditioner and a leave-in. I just have single products based on people's problems. Um, so uh, you can actually just buy one product and fit it into your already uh, existing hair care set from another brand to solve a problem that that hair care set is unable to solve for you. So that was the idea to, to just create solutions instead of creating a product line for people to buy and say, well, this is good for you, so use it. It's more like that, what is your problem? And me figuring out what the, how to solve the problem and making a product that suits that problem. So I'm, I'm kind of like a, a medicine woman in, in, that, in that regard, yeah. 
Except the big complaint um, in modern the modern era is that you know pharmaceutical companies try to how can they stay viable without making you stay sick you know in a way yeah so you know in a lot of products I know makeups and things they dry out your skin so if you don't use them constantly you're going to have a problem so yeah is that exactly it was so that's the solution you know you've come up with this model Mm -hmm. that allows you to take a risk try something new a solution based thinking. You found a problem and you want to solve it. It's not about, well, my business might not work. If you've helped 100 people and then that's it, I guess that makes you happier than, than having you've now got 100 people that feel great about who they are rather than 100 yeah. sales per week and, and yeah. you know, who cares what they yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the vision is to, to I just, it makes me happy to see women walk around without makeup but with clear skin and with uh, their natural hair, either in an afro or in twist or in whatever. And so the vision is to see people just, uh, uh, people of African descent just walk around proudly in the way they look and 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 not feel like they need to cover it up. And, and even that even goes for, for men. I think the same... Um, Thinking went into grooming for men where they feel like they have to cut off their hair because it's 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 deemed unkempt and they cut off their beard. Um, even right now in the banking system, you can't you can't keep your hair above a certain um, height. You can't grow a, a big beard. I, I think it's ridiculous. I think <laughs> I think you should be hired for the your expertise and not the way your your you look. I think as long as you're able to groom yourself properly, you can keep whatever length of hair. So it's it's also for for to see. I love to see men in afros or in dreadlocks and. So that's the vision for me, to see as many people as possible feel comfortable enough in their hair and their skin to walk around and uh, to walk around comfortably. That's, that's the vision for me. So does class sort of come in, into this at all? Is it like the big sort of corporate jobs that are the ones pushing people to, to have their hair more relaxed? Where does it come from? Is it, you know, at a local level where people are like, I want to not look, I want to look more like the TV stars or is it the people in the, the businesses and the, and the corporate sort of uh, enterprises that are saying no? I mean, in Australia, for example, it's about wearing a suit and, you know. Yeah. I, think it, I think it comes from all the places you mentioned, uh, honestly, because these institutions are also run by people who also have their uh, preconceived notions also. And we all, mind you, we all went through the same secondary school system where we're asked to cut our hair and the white people can keep their hair. So it's, like you said, it's just the cycle that's being perpetuated. So because it's seen as a, uh, the kempt way is to relax your hair or to, or to cut your hair, so yes, they they do encourage it in 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 the jobs, but then also ordinary people reinforce that it's not uncommon to to grow out your hair as a man, for example, and go home and have your mom berate you and say, "Go get a haircut, you look terrible," you know. Um, uh, my brother is growing out his hair. My mother just will not let him rest about it. Um, so yes, I think it's so deep seated that it's coming from all angles. Um, of course, in the institutions, that's where you make your daily bread. So it's more it's more reinforced. Like my brother doesn't work in a in a, an organization, uh, for example. So he can get away with just my my mother saying, you know, don't 
um, go cast it, but you can decide not to. But if he was working in an organization where he was getting paid and they said that, you know, you have to cast it was a rule, you would be you would be afraid of, of being fired and losing your, your daily bread. So it is it seems like it's more it seems like it's more it's more stringent in the corporations, but I think it's it's it's, it's everywhere, really. It's just from all angles. Yeah, so it seems like this uh, natural hair revolution, which came about, not only has to deal with, you know, the systemic beliefs and, and long-held beliefs, uh, also a, a racist system that was set up to begin with, and then also now just the family, the, the businesses, all of it has combined. So who's, who's bringing this fight and, and you're one of the people that are bringing this fight, I guess, to, the, to, to Ghana, and, but the natural hair revolution, is there a real sense of uh, unity and community to try to change this on a broad level or is this still a really a grassroots thing that, that you're um, into at the moment? I think at this point it's still grassroots. It's still very grassroots because I think we, it, will, it, would have, it would have come to... Um, the revolution would have come to an ahead if the banking sector decided that you could have an Afro and come to work. Um, it's still very grassroots also because while a lot of women are keeping their hair natural, a lot of them are still wearing weaves, for example. Though because and and the and the complaint is I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with my hair. So the weave is what it works. It will also it's still grassroots also because when people are getting married. They can have a full head of glorious natural hair, but they will still wear a weave for the wedding because it's still seen as it's more glamorous than, than natural hair. Um, so yes, it's still, it hasn't, I don't think it has peaked yet. People are still doing, and there, there are also those who are doing it because it's fashion, because uh, it looks good on other people. So they also want to try without necessarily having the feeling that, oh, this is this is me. It's not. It's not a feeling of coming back to myself. It's more a feeling of this is what everybody else is doing, so I'm going to do it. So yes, it's still very grassroots. I think little by little it should. It, it depends on how we how we approach it, which is why I think the education is extremely important because people have to understand. People say, "Well, it's just hair," but really, um, it sees to be just hair when it became a political statement for you to keep your natural hair. It's not just hair anymore. Uh, if it wasn't, if, it, if, if, if uh, organizations didn't um, insist that you cut your hair to, to fit into their organization, then it really isn't just hair anymore. So I think people need to understand that it's, it's bigger than the individual. People say, well, it's my choice. I can decide if I want to. But no, it's, it's much bigger than that. It's, a, it is, um, it's like a, a coming of age for the, for, the, for the, and I don't want to use the word race because I don't think that race exists, but it's a coming of age for, for us as Africans, as Ghanaians. We should come to a point where we are completely comfortable enough with ourselves to just be ourselves so yes, I, I, when people say, well, it's just hair, I'm like, I, I say, no, it's, it's not just hair. It is your identity at this point. It's not just hair. So it's still a grassroots, like you said. I'm hoping that I can help it to move from grassroots to, to more of an awareness. And, and the, my biggest fear is that it's just going to be a fashion phase. I mean, 
who thought that the Afro-revolution of the 60s would die, would die, right? And that's my biggest fear, that it's going to be another 60s, um, 70s revolution where people are going to go back to doing something else. I, I just hope that this is a long-term realization of your, your inherent self-worth and not just a fashion trend. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for. Or rather, that's what I'm working towards. Mm. Does this make you feel more empowered in general? Do, like once you realise that you, you had a goal, you had a thought and you sort of approached it and, and you realised so many people were thinking the same thing and needing the same thing as, as, you know, that expertise that you have now and you're empowering others, does it make you feel like you can achieve a lot or a, a lot more in, in when problems come to a head that you're able to now, you know, just say, I, I've got this, I can, I can handle it? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a, the chicken and egg situation uh, for this one, because I feel like I have, I, I had to have had that sense of being able to achieve something to have attempted this at all, because it's, it was essentially going against the grain when I started out. And to feel at that point that I could do. Now, when I think about it, I have no idea how I got the strength of mind to even start this in the first place. Because at the time when I started, it was a completely new thing. Yes, there were there were a couple of people who were doing something with local ingredients, but that was mostly for skin. And hair was a completely new thing. And to think that I would leave my job and, and say that, okay, I was going to, but then I, I was young and uh, I think we are, we are wilder when you're young. So to think that I could have started something like this, I think I had to have had a certain sense of the ability, being able to do it. And then I think the reception to it and, and having people come back to me and say how helpful it was just sort of fuels that, that sense of, of being able to do it. For me, I don't, I'm not sure which one came first. I think, it, I'm not sure which one came first, but it's also feeds off each other, yeah. Yeah, and the reason I guess I ask that is because there are so many people out there that are constantly holding themselves back or feeling held back in life uh, from doing what they want to do or doing what they feel like they love and, and just, you know, sticking with the job. And, and at times it's your first lesson was that, Sometimes it is dangerous to to jump out of a job and and try something new, but you've shown that you can get back into it and maybe with a more measured approach or whatever someone needs to do, but you can still achieve something and take a step forward. You you mentioned that it was sort of existed in the first place. Did you grow up, uh, I guess, with that um, attitude to to speak back to people or to, to answer back, to speak your mind? Is that something that it was, yeah, was true I did. for you? I yeah. did. I did. Um, I, I did. I'm a big believer in, in uh, astrology. And I think that the star under which you're born determines in some, to some extent, extent the kind of person that you are. Um, locally, uh, we have our own system of astrology. It's... Um, uh, that's how we get some of our names. We have day names where every day of the week that you're born means that you are called something in particular. And each one, every uh, day name has its requisite character traits. And I, I'm, I, I'm a Gemini and I was born on Tuesday. Uh, for people who are born on Tuesday, we are generally outspoken. We like to just chat our own course. Um, and Geminis are this dual personality, one one 
personality is like a, you know, uh, hit the ground running, I'm going, I'm doing what I feel like doing, and I don't want to be held back. And another personality is a little more held back. But I feel like I was born with that. I have always, as long as I remember, I've always been uh, one to speak my mind. I got berated for it a lot uh, by um, um, family members. But I just felt like, you know, if it needs to be said, it should be, it should be said. And I, I was very blunt in, in the way I spoke. Um, I remember once uh, we had to write a, uh, an essay in school. I think it was JSS or so. And at that time, when we were writing uh, essays, it was social studies essay. So, you know, when you're talking, you know how the Bible refers to everyone as he and man. And I was writing this essay, and this was a final, like, it was an exam. And I was writing he. And I'm like, why am I talking about he? Because it's possible that this person I'm talking about could have been a woman. So I went back and put an S on all the, um, the he's and made them she's. And I remember my teacher uh, called me and said, um, why did I make it she? I said, well, because I'm... I'm a woman that's writing it. And I thought that if I was writing it from my point of view, I should write it from my point of view. And I don't think, I don't think he was uh, as offended as he was impressed because I don't think that people have actually done that or even thought about that. So yes, I've always been one to, if I believe in it strongly enough, I feel like the motivation doesn't even come from inside. It's almost like an external force that says, if, if it lands in my head, it just starts to take form and then becomes its own animal and then it just spews out. I don't feel like I have, I don't sit down and say, well, I should say this, or I should do this. It just happens, um, which is why I believe that uh, astrology has, has a, a big part to play in the kind of personality that you have on the day that you're born, on the star that you're born. I think it's, it, it just shapes who you are and you really don't, can't do anything about it. So yeah, I have been. Uh, outspoken for as long as I can remember. Ghana a, a nation, I know it's democratic, I know that it's very diverse, but is it a country that is a little bit conservative still? Does it still have certain views towards towards women, toward, you know, uh, hierarchies? What, what, what happens in Ghana that you've had to sort of, I guess, challenge with, you know, your outspoken behaviour that he, she, I guess, could happen anywhere in the world? But is it something that is unique to, to Ghana that you found that you've had to fight a bit harder as a woman? Yes, um, yes, there are limitations or there have been limitations as to uh, how outspoken a woman can be or how powerful a woman can be. Now, this is a paradox for me because traditionally women are essentially the backbone of society. Even now, uh, women seem to be more financially stable than men. Entrepreneurship is something that is is very it's um, rooted in in, in Ghana. Um, everybody has like a little shop in front of their house, or they have a stall in the market. Most and most of these are owned by women. Most people don't know this history, but um, from the time of Kwame Nkrumah, um, women have have contributed financially in bigger parts 
to uh, um, political uh, aspirations of, of, of politicians and whatnot. Women have the fi financial uh, know-how, but for some reason, and I feel like this is also, uh, um, this also came with, in past with uh, colonialism, but for some reason, women are not allowed to take decisions um, if, if anything is happening in the family, in the extended family system, they are likely to defer to the man, the oldest man instead of the oldest woman. So, yeah, I, I, it, 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 I, I say it's a paradox because I know that women, men admit that women have a certain power locally that they don't have. But for some reason, we still defer to men when we are making uh, decisions, even sometimes about our own uh, our own lives and what we have to do. For example, um, you say that uh, the man marries the woman and it's not the other way around. You can't say that uh, you can't propose to a man, for example. But 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 even in that, it's um, for a, a lot of times for the couple to get married. It's rarely that the man would ask the woman. It's always the woman who sort of, you know, moves things in the background and says, you know, we've been dating for a while now. So this is what nudge the men to the decisions that the men, the men make. So outside, it seems like women are, are not as privileged as men. But I think uh, a lot of men also in their personal lives defer to, to um uh, opinions of their female counterparts, whether it's their mother or it's their grandmother or, or it's their their wives, whether they want to admit it or not. But also when it comes to the more metropolitan way of living, yes, women have, we have it harder. Um, for example, you probably get uh, paid less for a job in the same job as a man. When I was looking for uh, investments the first time, uh, the business, uh, I, I was passed over for men a number of times. And I think for some reason, people still trust that men are more able to take care of, I don't know, financial things. I don't know where that comes from, honestly, because I feel like women are, I can't, uh, I can't owe someone and feel comfortable enough to go about my business, you know. I'm always thinking about how I'm going to pay this loan back. And I think a lot of women are like that. But a lot of men go into things, um, they charge into it before even knowing that they have the ability to do it. But they can talk their ways because they've been, they've been, I guess they've been groomed in society to be more vocal. So they can talk their way into getting what they, they want. Where women are more like, I have to get the experience. Or I have to get all my ducks in a row before I move into it. Um, and, and even when you move into it, it's, it's sort of like speaking uh, to convince the man. Because it's usually the men who are in those positions. Um, so speaking to, to move the men is a little more difficult. Um, but I think it's, 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 for me, it's like a, um, it's a half and half. There are situations where women are um, considered um, over men, and then there are situations where men are considered over women. I, don't I, I feel like there is some sort of discrimination, but also I feel like it's, um, it's probably not as severe as... Um, it's probably not as severe as in, in other places. For example, we've never, we've never not been able to vote, for example. 
we are considered when decisions are made. For a long time, there have been efforts made to educate more women and get more women into, into uh, places of power and not just putting them there for the sake of it, but women who know what they're doing and, and, and know what they're talking about. So it, I don't think it's as severe. I think it is a problem to some extent, but I don't think it's as severe as it is in, in, in other places. And, and I think a lot of the time, most women, most Ghanaian women actually like to be uh, in the passenger seat instead of in the driver's seat. It's, it's probably less responsibility. Mm. Um, but for those who want to push ahead, I, I think once they prove themselves, they are, they are given the uh, opportunity to do it. We've gone, you know, through business and then a little bit about Ghana itself. But now to a, to a personal level, I, I guess I see a lot, especially this year in, or 2020, last year now, um, it's the new year, but, you know, we've, we've had lots and lots of crises uh, occur across the world. We've got, you know, the coronavirus in, in many places around the world. We've got um, if, if the disease itself isn't affecting people, lockdowns are or, or lack of freedom, you know, changes in um, whether people can travel or people losing jobs. All of these things are coming yeah. to a head and, and you've got humans facing climate change and, and the, the changes that we see in the world that it seems like doom and gloom is everywhere. But... Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, we're talking and, and you're smiling and I know that, you know, what you're building a business and doing that means that you you have to see a future and a, and a bright future. Are you optimistic in, in, in the future and how do you remain optimistic and, and happy, I guess? I think it comes also, like I said, with my, um, my star sign. I'm naturally optimistic. But um, I've learned to be a bit more pessimistic because um, in my experience, things don't always go as planned. And I feel like preparing yourself for that and saying, well, this that I'm doing might not work out makes it easier to deal with a fallout if it actually does happen. And it also actually gingers you to do more to make sure that it does work out, to make sure that you're doing, you're doing putting all the things in place that will help it to work out because knowing that the, the possibility that it might not work out is there is, is somewhere in the back of your mind. My cup is both half empty and half full. So it depends on how I'm feeling on a particular day or what has happened. Uh, sometimes I'm optimistic about it. Sometimes I'm not that optimistic about it. So I don't have one, and this is probably something that's unique to me. I never have one way of feeling constantly. It's always changing. Um, today I'm feeling optimistic I'm not sure how I feel about it tomorrow uh, I'm feeling optimistic because I got some recommendations yesterday so I'm thinking okay so my efforts are actually paying off if I tried something today and it didn't work out I'll think hmm, maybe it's not working as well as I thought so it's, it's half enough for me do you have a practice uh, a, a spiritual you said astrology but do you have you know uh, practices or, or ways to try to stay afloat and, and stay on top of things? You know, a, a lot of us have those emotions that go up and down, but what, what keeps you going to push forward and, and find more and more of those good days, I guess? Uh, right now, it's my age. <laughs> the, the, the thought that I'm growing older keeps me on my toes. Mm. Um, before, when I was younger, so, you know, you always feel like you have luck your whole life ahead of you. 
but 10 years down the line, I, 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 my age is, is starting to creep up on me. And every time I'm like, I feel, I don't feel like I, I have the energy to do something. I'm like, you're going to be 40 in three years. So it's either you do it now or you don't do it at all. So that's actually what, what, what um, pushes me. Um, and then also the thought of seeing something that I started to grow into. I have evolved in the past few years. I was very impulsive before and I didn't follow through with a lot of things. But I have become the for for some reason, I'm not sure exactly what's informed it, but I have become the before I could start a project and leave it and not worry about what could have been and just start something else. But I have gotten to the stage where I'm I want to see how it pans out. And if I left it for a minute, I would still I would I would be it would be niggling in the back of my mind and I'll go back to it. So I've always trusted in my instincts. And I think now more so than ever, I just let my 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 body do what it does. I let my my brain do what it does. I don't like to force things. Uh, I, I feel like uh, in, in my experience so throughout my life, I feel like the things that I have let happen naturally always work out. The things that I force um, don't seem to work out. So it's a matter of putting it in my mind um, and I've come to accept that my mind is a very powerful tool. Um, so it's deciding that this is what I want to do and then pushing it to the back of my mind. Yeah, so it's my age uh, that motivates me. Um, and it's like having a vision board in your mind where you, you write something down and say that this is what you want to achieve and you just let the, the universe just do what it's going to do. That's, that's mainly how I do it. I don't have a specific... Like, I don't wake up at 6 a.m. to work out and, and I don't read any business books. Then. I read, I, I like stories, so I, I, I find it very tedious to read those uh, uh, business books and whatnot. I, I prefer biographies. I feel like oh, yeah. there's a lot you can learn from how a person lives their life than uh, being told a series of uh, steps to take. Because I think everybody's experience is different. So, but you're more motivated by how people have overcome their personal challenges than how to follow a step-by-step guide on how to become successful, for example. But one of my favorite subjects is um, uh, Kwame Nkrumah. I think he was a remarkable man. Um, so I read it. I have quite a number of his books. I, I motivate myself with these books because I think he did something that was monumental for his time. It would be monumental at this time, but in his time it was monumental. So who was Kwame Krumah? Okay, so uh, uh, Kwame Krumah, he, uh, he was our first president. He gave us independence from uh, Crown. And he's written a couple of books, uh, some biographies. There have also been some books written about him and some letters and speeches that he's written. So I just like to go through his uh, repertoire um, when I'm looking for inspiration. So I said he what he did was monumental because he 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 essentially brought I mean the, the fight had started in some way but uh, for freedom but he brought it home he knew how to go about it so he's I find him very I find him inspirational and so I read a lot of his work his thinking process is he he has a focus 
um, he wanted um, liberation for the black man, not just in uh, uh, not just economically, but mentally, physically, everything. And he had a certain pride in the black person's abilities to be able to do the things that we were told for the centuries that centuries that we couldn't do. Um, so that's why I get a lot of my, my inspiration from that. If he was able to achieve that in those days, then I should be able to achieve something minimal, this minimal in my time. Yeah. Yeah, I really think that's important that um, oftentimes we're told to follow these seven rules of success, but often the, the best way is to follow the actions of people, not the words. You know, yeah. what have what have people actually done with their lives and, and yeah. sacrificed and fought for and yeah, is the is the best way to to help us know how to approach yeah. life. Mm. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I've I've sat in, uh, listened to a few motivational speakers, and it's all just, uh, it's just a scripted, it's a scripted uh, performance, really. And I find that I don't actually learn anything from it. Uh, before I get to my final question, is there anything that you'd like to touch on or, or share with us that we haven't maybe touched on at all today? I think, okay, the, the one thing we haven't spoken about is um, sustainability. Well, now it's, it's become like a buzzword, but the, the things that I struggle with uh, in the business a lot is the waste that uh, making the products creates. Yes, we have a recycling plant, but they recycle only PET containers. And 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 Ghanaians are very. Um, we don't like to waste things, so we do a lot of reusing of plastic containers and whatnot. But you can only use it for that uh, for if so many times, and then it still becomes waste. And it's something that I struggle with because, I mean, I, I encourage my um, uh, customers to return the containers that I. I produce with when they are done um, uh, for a, a discount or to get a, a gift. But it still bothers me how I'm still trying to figure out how to make products that don't require packaging that we can't do anything with. I mean, even with uh, shampoo containers, while you could probably recycle the bottle itself, the mechanism for the pump, for example, that's still very difficult to uh, uh, recycle, all these things. And I'm always constantly thinking where it ends up. Um, you mentioned the climate change and whatnot. It's, it's a big um, issue for me. But then also the alternative of getting um, uh, eco-friendly containers, which are, which are actually quite, uh, which we can do locally, are not as user-friendly as people have come to be used to. They're, they're now used to products that make everything easier. So we have a cell to say, well, instead of putting it in a pump bottle, for example, I'm putting it in a small clay uh, jar where you'd have to be careful where you put it and where you. But um, so it's it's finding a balance between the the um, between making natural products. Uh, between um, taking care of the environment and then also um, making sure that the uh, containers are user-friendly enough that they are not rejected by, by, by the consumers. I haven't figured it out yet, so it's something that I'm, I'm working on. 
but uh, that's that's a big issue. That's a big issue for me. Um, and then I find that it's it's a it's a never ending cycle, really, because we can say that um, well, we're not using plastics anymore, but we're going to use say uh, fiber plastics, which are made from plants, for example. That means if we're going to if the demand is going to uh, increase, then it means we're going to plant. We're going to have to plant that particular plant that gives us the fiber. Um, and which means we're going to have to clear a large area and plant that. And what I've found about the ecosystem is plants naturally grow in uh, the, 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 the forest in places is, is mixed for a reason. It helps. One, one takes this nutrient from the soil, another replaces that nutrient and takes another nutrient. But to clear out a land to plant one thing is essentially just destroying the the so it just seems to me like it's a there's no escape um, in in and I, I feel like that the best way would be to go back it, to living the way we were before. Um, I was talking to this about my friend uh, yesterday actually, and 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 he said to me, "So you would like to, us to go back to barter trade?" I'm like, "Why is barter trade such a bad idea anyway? You get what you want, I get what I want." The environment is healthy. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And of course, over the years, we've been told that uh, we, we've been called uh, either a third world country or a developing country. And the basis for that is that we don't have enough high-rise buildings or that the, the cosmopolitan living is still... I mean, I feel like rural living is probably the, the only way to save the planet, to live the way to live off the earth and let the earth live off you instead of just capitalizing and everything to make a, 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 to live a certain way that's really it's, it's not um it's not natural as far as i'm concerned um like for example our traditional architecture is is made from clay and um what you find when you go to the rural areas is that the buildings sort of fit into the environment. They don't, they're not, uh, they don't shock you. It's not like a, a tall cement block that just seems out of place. It, it sits on, it's made from the ground, from clay that it sits on. It sits on. The thatch is made from the trees. If it goes bad, you replace it, but then you know that that one is also going to, to fertilize as well. I, I'm actually, I think I'm increasingly getting to the point where I am going to advocate that we go back to living like um, like villages, really, which is what we've been moving away from since uh, uh, colonization. We want to look more and live more like like they do outside. I feel like that's I think that's the detriment of the earth. It's that we're not living off the we're not living for the earth. We're living off the earth, and it's it's. Um, but then how do you strike the balance, right? Because right now we live in a world where you need the money. <laughs> mm. So how do you strike the balance between living the way you know you're supposed to live and still living the life that you've come to be used to? Because right now I'm used to certain things, going out, dressing a certain way, eating certain things. It's going to be a great, it was going to be a, a lot of work to change back to that. But I think... Yeah, I think that's I think that's the only way to solve global warming. I think 
all these uh, renewable energy and all that, it's all still, we still have to manufacture things to get renewable energy. You still have to build a huge windmill that's made from uh, metal that doesn't, won't decompose. You still have to, solar panels, you still have to make it from batteries that we still don't know how to, to, to get rid of or how to recycle. It's still adding to the, the problem. And it just feels like the more we try to solve it with technology, the worse it's going to become. I feel like we should reverse engineer our living, and that's the only way to solve uh, to solve global warming. So uh, this G8 and the G20 was a complete waste of time. It's just people taking per diem to go for meetings, but I, I don't think that's that's what's going to help us. It's, I'm very glad I asked you the question because that's a. Uh... I guess, an amazing point of view that I sort of agree with so wholeheartedly that there is that battle between do we live the way we are and try to, we say, you know, as you, you mentioned, developing nations, we try to get everyone to live like uh, everyone does in the United States or Australia or, or whatever, and the whole world is doing that, eating, you know, kilograms of meat and going to the supermarkets that are perfectly air-conditioned and you know, yeah. driving their car and whatever, but with renewable energy, so we're not destroying the, the the home of our planet, you know, but we are still having to destroy our planet with mines, with uh, disconnect with the environment. You mentioned rural living yeah. being of the environment. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're in the cities, you go to the supermarket and you see the the perfectly wrapped beef, you see the um, the... The apple wrapped in plastic, yeah. you don't even know where it comes yeah. from. It's got its wax <laughs> on it, you know, all of that. Yeah. And it is the frozen vegetables and whatever. And you go, well, th- there has to be another way, as you, as you say. And uh, the, the word resource or natural resource is often used, um, but that's still like we deserve that. That's for us. Whereas I've heard it um, called a, like a spiritual element when we talk about these things, that we actually have to to, to see them as... Uh, as important as we are. So, exactly. yeah. Um, and I like that way that you framed it. You know, you're trying with your business to do something amazing and to change um, people's lives and, and get in touch with their beauty and, and their natural beauty. But then you you do notice that there is problems. You know, what do I do with the pump bottle? What do I do with the recycling? What do I do with the, to, if I get bigger and bigger, where do I get my resources or elements from? Um, and, and that's what's so tough. So that question is something that we ponder and, and it, it, it makes it all, so, a lot of people just throw their hands in the air and just say, well, it's too hard. Let's just. It's too hard to think about yeah. and too hard to do it because the, the, we, I think we all know what we need to do, but it's just too hard to move back mm-hmm. to doing doing that to to growing an apple tree in your house as opposed to buying it from from the the supermarkets to to keeping animals in your backyard as opposed to just going to buy the commercially produced one we know what we have to do we just feel we've we've developed and developed in um, inverted commerce to the point where we feel like that kind of living is beneath us that we've we've we deserve to not have to go through that kind of trouble to to save the environment so um it's going to be hard and i and i and i think perhaps the only way to to do it will be so so this uh coming age of the machines where we're all just going to we're all just going to um be without 
the comforts that we are used to. Maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing. That's how to reset the button. I don't know. I think we've gotten to the point where instead of it would be hard to after taking centuries to uh, condition people to want certain things, it would be hard to re decondition them or recondition them to want something else. The the best way to do it would have to be like a total breakdown of the society as we built it so we can start again from scratch. Which seems harsh, but I mean, when I look at it, I don't see it, I don't see any other way that we can I don't see any other way that we can do it. Yeah, and who's to say that we won't end up in the same or a worse place either? It's um humans have a an exceptional ability to surprise us <laughs> and, yeah. and um, not only for the, not always for the good either. But um, yeah. I, I go back to that image of you describing, I think your grandmother chewing the, the leaf, the, the okay, um, yeah. and, and that being the way, you know, you go to a shared piece of land where everyone is welcome to and gathers this natural vegetation that's amongst places where it thrives and allows other things to thrive. And you just get it and you chew it and you put it and that's how you do it rather than having to buy these, you know, plastic bottles that and, and exactly. due to the fact that we've forgotten how to just look after ourselves. We've forgotten how yeah. to live. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we have. But luckily there are still some people who know how to do it in mm. um, the, the deeper parts of the country. There are still some people who live for the land uh, instead of off the land. Although that's still a dying population, um, because now the the metropolis is expanding outside of its uh, borders, and now it's going into, and 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 they've got to the point where they also feel like, well, we have it good in our centers, so they also want it. I don't think they would fight too much if the same um, if the same uh, quote unquote industrialization came to them. Uh, which is also quite a tragedy, uh, to be honest. Guyana, which is a country in South America that's often confused for Ghana from many people, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. is 80, I think it's 85% rainforest, but they've just struck oil and they've got this amazing oh, amount yeah. of oil now. And there's this battle going on between preserving, you know, one of the most unique places on earth with so much rainforest. It's got a population, I think, of about 700,000 people, but it's it's mm. quite a... It's a big enough nation in in area, mm-hmm. and it and it has all of these this flora and fauna that is unique to them alone. You know, it's got the edge of the yeah. Amazon. It's got everything, and it's and a lot of people would say, how could you want to stop these people from becoming you know affluent and using that oil for um, you know they can build cities and you know whatever it is that you know. That's, that's just an excuse. It is just an excuse, isn't it? Because I feel that it isn't it obvious that we 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 need to go backwards and we need to stop the, this yeah. this behaviour yeah. instead of exploiting resources and exploiting people yeah. to make just yeah. a select few rich, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think they would get as much as much benefits from it as these because I'm sure it's the people who are going to. Um, mine the oil who would mm. say these drill the oil who would say these things because they want it to they, they, they want their their benefits to seem attractive to you mm. but um, as a country that's recently discovered oil also it is it would it doesn't really 
it, it only negatively affects the people who live in the area and, and goes to enrich the people who, who uh, uh, drill the oil. But the people have to deal with, yes, fine, they're going to get schools, but then they, they, there won't be any trees anymore. They're going to get uh, uh, shopping malls, but their the air would not be breathable anymore. It's any way you look at it, if you look at it objectively, if you look at it without thinking about the profits, really, they are only going to lose because it's not uh, having all these affluence, uh, uh, trappings of affluence, it really doesn't, it doesn't help anyone in the long run. Immediately you feel like you're, you're living, you're, you're going to get to a point where, yes, you're affluent, but then you're going to become obese because you're, you're not mm. eating healthy foods anymore. You're eating yep. uh, fast food that's fried in oil that's been fried over and over again. It's just, um, it's, a, it's a vicious, it's a vicious uh, cycle. I feel sorry for, for Guyana, to be honest. Yeah, it's, um, and it's the world over and, and people become more expectant of those, I guess, luxuries that, you know, then you haven't seen greenery for five weeks and you wonder why that you're so overwhelmed and anxious and depressed and, and you go, well, you haven't yeah. seen nature for so long. You know what? This... Yeah, people don't even make that connection. That's the thing. Yeah. Most people don't make that connection about mm. uh, the connection between our well-being and nature. It's, I, when we were younger, we'd have cousins who lived in the UK, for example, come and visit and they would be so amazed to see lizards. This is something that we see on a daily basis. They'd, be, they'd see chickens and chase them around the place because they've never seen a live chicken before. Um, it's, and, and, and you can tell the joy and the happiness that they feel, but, but people still don't make that connection that, that it's, we get our sanity from, from nature. And Well, I guess because they feel like there's now everybody's selling you to go and see a shrink because that's, that's how it's like a band-aid or mm. a, a band-aid on, on a wound without figuring out what's causing the wound and, and probably uh, solving that one. But yeah, that's the human condition, I guess. I want to end on a, on a positive note um, because um, I guess we have to, don't we? <laughs> it's too hard otherwise. Um, so the name of this podcast is Moments of Clarity and every episode I ask my guests, what is a moment of clarity that you've had in, in recent times that you'd like to share with us today? Uh, something that you'd like to, to share that has, you know, enlightened you or, or brightened your day? That, you know what I actually just spoke about? The discovering that's probably the only way to solve the climate change uh, problem. This came to me quite recently uh, when I saw an ad for uh, solar panels and renewable energy and whatnot, and I was thinking, and then I started thinking, so how, okay, so yeah, the, the solar panels will work for a certain time. So when it's lived, it's, it's gone through its lifespan, are you just going to throw that away and then get another one? Doesn't that just add to the problem that this thing is trying to solve? So it's the, the realization that our living can only get worse if we follow on the path that we're following. Um, and I've been telling my friends uh, that lately I've been feeling like I just want to leave all of this behind and go and live in my, uh, my hometown, which is still relatively not uh, as um, quote-unquote developed as uh, Accra. And just wake up in the morning, have a little farm, 
uh, there's a river in, in my hometown. So I don't know, take a swim in the river, just commune with, and, 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 and I have a strong feeling, I haven't done it yet, but I have a strong feeling that I will have like my, my peace of mind will be restored um, because I recently just got uh, promoted at work and it's incredibly stressful having to deal with deadlines and, and clients' expectations and, and budgets and all that. And we need to, to make this amount of money. It's all just too much. I, I had a breakdown quite recently and it was after the breakdown that this realization came to me about how we probably would not need shrinks or be stressed if we lived the way we uh, the way my grandmother used to live, for example. So that's that's the recent um, most recent moment of clarity that came, um, and this is also affecting my business because, like I said, I'm thinking about the 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 materials that are used for packaging the products, and. Uh, <sighs> It's, it's, it's a moment of clarity, but it's, it's bringing me more stress, to be honest, because I, I don't feel like I'm doing uh, enough. I'm not doing enough to solve the problem. It's, it's, it's still scary. I mean, I know now what I have to do, but it's still scary having to leave everything that I've worked for all this while and go back to square one and, and just, just live with nature. Um, yeah, so my moment of clarity was that... Um, Nature is the savior. That's that's what came to me. That's what. Um, so uh, I'm thinking of how best I can do that. So now I've, I've started actually getting plants. <laughs> I, I I used to think I was uh, I didn't have a green thumb because when we were younger, my dad would my dad loved uh, gardening and he would uh, give us each my brother, my sister, and I seeds to grow, and mine never ever germinated, never. Um, but now, as I'm older, I realized that because I didn't take care of it, mm. I just put it in the soil and watered it once and thought that it should do what it needed to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but now I'm I'm growing things, and I, I, I and to be actually to be uh, honest, I saw this in a horoscope once that I am more green than I think I am. I'm more of a farmer than I think I am. I'm like, are you kidding? I never I never grew anything when I was younger, so. I tried it recently and I realized, okay, so all it takes is for you to pay attention to it. So that's also another, that's also, wow, I've had lots of moments of clarity uh, recently um, that all it needs is for you to nurture it. You just need to nurture it. So this feeling of, of wanting to do something positive, all you need is to nurture it. This feeling of, of uh, living more for nature, all you need to do is to nurture it and then it, it just grows into um, what you wanted to, to grow into. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. Um, amazing things to, to finish off on. Now, before we, I let you go, um, where can people find out a bit more about you and your business? I know that you just talked about, you know, the, the in-between stage you're in, but if people are interested and want to find out more, where can they find that? Um, on, I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, I'm more concentrated. My, my efforts are more concentrated on Instagram. It's like I said, my day job doesn't allow me to focus too much on it. So I'm more concentrated on Instagram, but I do post on Facebook sometimes. So uh, Instagram at cockauction.com is K O R Q R T I O N. 
so that's at Cocoction on Instagram. And I have a webpage, uh, Cocoction.com. That's also K-O-R-K-O-R-T-I-O-N.com. Uh, so these are the main places where I, uh, the business is working. Um, I'm hoping to retire from advertising for good in June, and then I can focus on it, do some um, regular events where I talk one-on-one with people about uh, growing their hair. I think you can learn a lesson, but uh, sometimes hearing it over and over again helps to see this in your mind. So I would like a platform where I can uh, have like a quarterly event where people come and learn things about, about natural living. And, and then also, uh, this I, I should have added this earlier, I'm, I, would li- I would like the business to get to a point where nothing goes to waste. So if I uh, say I use avocados for my products, I use the flesh to make a hair mask. I use the skin to get oils. Um, I use the seeds to get the powder. And then I have like a, uh, well, I actually have a farm where I grow the aloes and it's a completely organic farm, but my brother takes care of it. So then the, the waste from the fruits and whatnot will go back into the farm um, to grow the, the raw material that we need. So I'm hoping to get to a point where I don't waste anything that I use. Um, so I can solve that part and then think about how to solve the plastic problem with the, the packaging. Yeah. Well, I think what you're doing is amazing and, and so far beyond what many people are already doing and thinking about. So I guess it's one step at a time and um, I think so many people are on this journey of finding out how they can make a difference but that it's not going to be perfect straight away but, you know, all these yeah. steps hopefully will make a make an yeah. impact for a better world. Before, can I ask you a question though? Yes, yeah, no um, worries. Why, how did you start this podcast? What moments of clarity did you have before you started this this podcast? Yeah, thanks. Um, that's a great question. I may have spoken about this may, maybe in some episodes, maybe not. But what happened was I believed that I was immune to thinking about anyone but myself. Um, and then I realised that that I was just being a hypocrite in life. I had these external beliefs that I said that I believed in, you know, the environment, social justice, yet I was just living in my own bubble and not really caring or seeing what impact I had on the world. And, um, and I mean, that sounds harsh, but I believe many people are living that way. And um, I think it, it came to a head where I thought, I got to a point where I was a bit like you, where I was, I just was like, do I run away from everything and, and live on a, in a farm and just hide mm. and maybe I've got control over what I can do um, yeah. and get away from those things that are, I guess, pulling me into a direction I don't want to be? Or is there another way through it? And um, I think what I started to do was, after a little breakdown of my own, actually, I, I realised that... Um, I had to rebuild myself from a better base and through a bit of meditation, through conversations, through friendships and relationships, through um, creating things, I, I started to get a bit of momentum and um, love life again. And then I, I realised that it's basically you have to feel empowered. You, you've, you've got to realise that anything you want to change has to come from you and... Um, yeah. Anything that you, yeah, the, what, what's that saying? You know, be the change you want to see in the world. And 
I truly believe that, but I found it very difficult to do. So my intention of this podcast was to talk to people that are on that journey or that have made really great tracks in that and hopefully I can learn something. And by creating this, I can share it with others that might be in a similar rut that I was. So that's that's my intention. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing that you did, actually. Oh, cheers. No, thanks for that question. Um, yeah, it's... it's <laughs> It's an interesting place to navigate this world, um, but I think we there's much more similarity in people than difference, and we just have to find that, yeah. I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I Oh, brilliant. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, so thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Matthew. This has been also uh, quite an enjoyable experience. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.